All right. So, thank you for thank you for being here for our doctrinal class. It is so good to see everybody here with your notes, with your notebooks open, uh, taking notes and writing things down. I want to start a little bit differently, and I and I, and I don't. We're going to have a word of prayer, but but I want to start maybe in a way that we don't normally start a class, and that is to point out what happens when you have false doctrine. So let's begin with a word of prayer. Father, we ask that you would help us as we study your word to understand the importance of doctrine. Lord, a few years ago I could only have dreamed of what we are seeing here tonight with the people who have come and who are willing to listen, to study your word. But I pray that this would continue and that there are others that would be willing to come as well and to be encouraged as we realize that your word has been given for a reason. As Second Timothy 3.16 says that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, for correction, and instruction in righteousness that the man or the person of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished into all good works. So I ask the Lord that you would help us as we study your word and we study these doctrinal truths. Encourage our hearts tonight. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Amen. Alright. Good evening. Do you have an orientation packet for me? And, yeah, exactly. Visitor's packet. <laughs> good to see you. Guy. My name's Jeff. Uh, George. Yeah, George. Yeah, George. <laughs> We're all George. All right, so here, here's one of the reasons why doctrine is important. When, when we go into it, when we have been into a church, one of the things that here, I, I, I'm, and I'm struggling to, to know exactly how to say this, but there's going to come a time when you guys are, may not be here. You may move somewhere else, you may retire to another state, you may, you may whatever, and when that time comes, it's important that you find a church that is doctrinally sound. You see, one of the heartaches of a pastor is, is to learn, as even Dad will tell you, they, they know that some of the folks who were in his very first ministry, some were faithful to the Lord, but there are also some that departed. And the problem is that when people do not bother to study the Word of God, a lot of times they're just simply swallowing what they're being spoon-fed. I don't, I don't want you to just swallow what you're being fed. I want you to take these things. It's the reason why I, I go to, to the effort that I do, and, and, and not because I don't have anything better to do with my time, but because I love doing this. And because when I put these doctrinal statements together, or the creeds, or 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 the the the, the ter- glossary of terms, or or uh, the the study guides for you to be able to study, it's so that you will study. It's so that you will verify that what we are telling you is indeed God's word. But how do you know when it's God's word? If the minister stands up and says, "I got a word from the Lord," does that make it so? Absolutely not. There, there is a there is a an individual who ministers in churches all around the world. Is a multimillionaire. Has made 
millions of dollars off the backs of people who have no theological understanding of scripture whatsoever. And this woman is Joyce Meyer. I have not done this before, but I want to do it tonight because something came across, and I have known of these for quite some time, and we're not going to elaborate in any great length on these, but I want to show you what false doctrine, where it takes you. And these doctrines that I'm getting ready to tell you about, they are actually found in just about every word of faith, charismatic, or Pentecostal church in America. In fact, around the world. We, we went to the jungles of Africa and had to deal with some of these same false doctrines because they had gone there too. Uh, li- listen to these seven heresies, and, and you're welcome to look these up. It's in her books. She speaks about them. She preaches about them. She, she has no problems telling you that this is what she believes. Number one, Jesus stopped being the Son of God. Number two, and this one is actually quite popular amongst guys like Benny Hinn, T.D. Jakes. By the way, these people also do not hold and believe in the doctrine of the Trinity. None of them do. In fact, they believe it's heresy. But Joyce Meyer teaches that Jesus had to be born again just like you and I. That he actually had to get saved as a man. She believes that Jesus died and went to hell and that he had to suffer at the hands of the devil and his demons for his own potential sin nature before he could die for you. Now, you could take any passage of scripture and you can twist it to make it say whatever you want to. But there are people who are sitting there and she'll say things like, somebody give the Lord a praise. Let's hear an amen. And there will be people, thousands of people that sit in her ministry every week. Amen. Amen. They are ignorant because they are the blind being led by the blind. Now, I don't want anybody to misunderstand. I don't hate Joyce Meyer. I hate what she teaches. I hate the heresy that she is promoting and she is leading people astray. You see, if Jesus had to die for his own sin nature, that means he was not the Messiah and we're still waiting for the Messiah. She teaches that God is not sovereign. He is not all-knowing. She claims that, and again, this is where false doctrine will take you, she claims that she does not sin anymore. She also believes in something, maybe you have heard of this, a little God's doctrine. Anybody know what that is? The little God's doctrine? Yeah, little gods. She believes because we are created in the image of God, therefore we are all our own little God. Yep. And then she holds to the prosperity gospel. It's name it and claim it. Health and wealth prosperity. In other words, because Jesus died on the cross, he died not just for your sins, but he died to give you health and wealth. And if you don't have health and wealth, it's because you don't have enough faith. 
Uh, well, it's not the Bible. And, and again, th- this is the problem with having a false understanding of Scripture. It, it begins with a, and we have said this right at the very beginning of the class, if you have a low perspective of God, you will have too high of a perspective of man. High theology, high view of God, leads to a low view of man. Now, we're not talking about kicking all your self-confidence to the, to the curb. I don't mean that. But I'm talking about the worldly doctrine that says, love yourself first. You see, there are even evangelical churches. I could take you down, and I know the authors. I could take you down right now to the Christian bookstore here in town. And there are actually books on the shelf there that will tell you not only how to love yourself, but how to forgive yourself before you can learn to forgive others. And they also, the logical conclusion of that is, if I have to learn to forgive myself and I have to learn to love myself, who do I also have to forgive? God. God did nothing to be forgiven of because God did not sin. And this, again, is the problem because people are swallowing this hook, line, and sinker, and they're thinking, sink, and they're, they're thinking you know what, this, this, this is really good stuff. This is helping me to feel better about myself. I don't want you to walk away from these classes or from Sunday morning feeling good about yourself. I, I, I want you to think, what a great God we have that he would love me despite what he knows about me. That is true biblical doctrine. Because only then can I love you and can you love me in the way that God wants us to love one another. So having said that, it's all the time I want to give to Joyce Meyer tonight. She didn't deserve that either. But I want us to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 because I want to start with the gospel. And we are actually at the bottom of page 3. Um, or sorry, I forget yours are numbered differently, but it should say, give your understanding of a substitutionary sacrifice. It's, uh, it was found on pages 48 and 49. That's where we're at. Yes, sir, Scott. Page 5. Yes. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I may have said 1 Corinthians. I mean 2 Corinthians. 5 521. Second, yes, Gabe. Based off of what, what you described, I'm saying, I would, I would like to say one thing. <clears throat> you, you had said spoon fed. Yes. And, and I believe of this church, you don't spoon feed us. You provide us a full on meal that we can eat. That we could could enjoy and learn from. You give us material from other people. From I mean, everything you're giving us on Saturday morning and whatever you know, talking to you one on one, you you give me different books and different authors and podcasts to listen to. It's not just you. You're you're giving us more than just a single. I don't. And I appreciate that. Thank you. 
And I don't, I don't mean to imply that, that you guys are just sitting there like little birds with your mouths open waiting for a worm. I don't mean, mean spoon-fed like that. But as in every church, we've got people who come and they're here on a Sunday morning. Sometimes they're here, sometimes they're not. And, and we've got people, sadly, who maybe have claimed the name of Christ for 5, 10, 15, 20 years and they're still a babe in Christ because they've never learned to do anything other than skim the top of the dessert with a spoon. That's what I'm referring to. Again, to see what we're seeing here and for people to be willing to, to even sit here and learn. I realize everybody here could be somewhere else. Don't I? I could be too. But we're here and we're studying because we want to learn because the desire should be to become more like Christ like we mentioned this morning. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. Somebody read that for us, please. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. In theological terms, this is called the great exchange. Without the great exchange, you and I have no salvation. Let, let, let's reread this, and I want to put some additional words into this verse so that you understand it. 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake, of course, he is speaking about those who are sinners. For our sake, he, God the Father, made him, Jesus Christ, to be sin who knew no sin. This means he was both sinless, and because he did not sin, he also could not sin. That is the, called the impeccability of Jesus Christ. It is a vital doctrine. So that, in other words, that so that is like a therefore in the Greek. So you're actually looking back. What, what is he referring to? He is saying, because he knew no sin, so that in him, and the only reason it could be in him is because he had no sin. In Jesus Christ, we who are sinners might become the righteousness of God. Here's what it is in a nutshell. And this is what you should have something similar to this down the bottom. From the time of the very first sacrifice, man knew that something had to take his place. Whether it's Abraham on the mountain with his son. You know, I love that story. Because when he leaves his servants behind at the end of three days, he says, I and the lad will go there to that mountain to worship and we will return. Now, had God already promised him that he was going to raise his son? No, we don't find that out until the New Testament. We find that by faith, I believe it's Hebrews chapter 11, by faith, Abraham takes his son up into the mountain knowing that if God had to raise his son from the dead, he would do so. What a beautiful picture of what it must have been like for God to give his only son. You know, the difference is that Abraham couldn't have had Isaac if it hadn't have been by the grace of God. And that's really where the similarity kind of stops because as far as God the Father is concerned, he already had God the Son because we believe in the eternal sonship of the Lord Jesus Christ and he didn't have to have you or I or the world, or the angels, or any part of creation. He chose to make those things for His glory and for our good and our enjoyment. So this great Creator who has made all of these things comes down to a sin-cursed, sin-sick world where 
Everybody and everything that could is trying to destroy both the line of Israel as well as trying to destroy the very Son of God. Herod. The Romans. Whoever it may be. And you know what we find? At the end of three and a half years of ministry, this Jesus goes to the cross. Before he goes to the cross, he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. Now here's where false doctrine creeps in. Because there are a lot of people that actually teach that when Jesus was in the garden and he said, Father, let this cup pass from me and if not, may your will be done. They believe that what Jesus was actually praying for was a plan B so he didn't have to go to the cross. That's heresy. Because there was no plan B. Or plan C or plan D. Jesus came with one purpose. He knew when he came, he came to die. There's no other way he could have been the sacrificial lamb. Do you remember what John the Baptist says in John chapter 1? Jesus Christ is coming across the hills and he comes over the hill and there's John the Baptist and he is baptizing in the river Jordan and Jesus Christ, or as Jesus Christ walks down the hill down to the waters of the Jordan, John the Baptist looks up and he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Even John the Baptist knew what it meant to be a lamb. To be a lamb meant sacrifice meant you didn't have any rights. The offering of a lamb or bull was merely a covering though. And through this, God granted mercy in preserving the sinner from his or her sin being held to their account. This is like an accounting term. We talked about this in one of the previous classes, I believe, in and we were figuring it up, how many sins, and, and we concluded that, that one sin per day, 365 times 70 years, is approximately 25,550 sins. Now, the question you have to ask yourself is this, out of those sins that you committed, which one was the death sentence for Jesus? All of them. None of them. No, all of them were a death sentence. Right, right. I'm not talking about. I'm. I'm not talking about as far as we're concerned. I'm talking about as far as as far as Christ having to go because. And we look at this verse when it says He became sin for us. He wasn't just becoming sin for our sin natures. He was becoming. He had to take that that sin upon Himself to bear that sin. That's what I'm referring to. And yes, because we did ask, and I believe it was somebody over here on this side who actually made the comment. I asked, "How many sins does it take to become a sinner?" None. You and I are born a sinner. We're born by nature. We are sinners. You don't have to teach your children have to, how to sin. We sin automatically. And the older we get, the, the farther we get. This is, why, this is why in the New Testament, the Lord Jesus Christ, or through the, through the writing of the Apostle Paul, for example, he teaches us as parents to raise our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Why? Because when your child and my child is born, they're born as depraved little heathens who, and we have one goal and one purpose, and that is to train them to know how to love and serve God. And you know the reason why sometimes our children struggle? It's because we struggle. And sometimes it's hard to teach what we're not living, what we're not practicing. This was only fully possible with the sacrifice when Christ came. This is why we come to the Lord's table as believers. We come to remember what he fully accomplished on the cross. 
Jesus Christ didn't go down into hell to suffer at the hands of the demons in order for us to be saved. When he was on the cross, he said, Tetelestai, it is finished. That is in the aorist tense. And in the Greek, in the aorist tense, that means an action that is completed one time for all time. For example, we had dinner. If you had lunch today or dinner or whatever you want to call it, you say, we asked you, did you eat today? Yes, you, you said I had dinner. Yes, I finished my meal. Does that mean that you finished forever? No, you're going to have to wait until your next meal. This is not the aorist tense. The aorist tense, one action forever and ever and ever. It means it would never have to be completed. This is what makes the mass a heresy. Because the Mass says that when the priest actually stands in front of the people and he goes, ad hocus pocus, you may recognize that. That's exactly what it is. And the priest says this, he is actually saying, I have the ability to be able to bring Jesus Christ down from heaven where he is seated at the right hand of the Father, and I bring him down and he is visibly physically present in this so that when you take it, the priest actually says, receive the body of Christ. Because without receiving the body of Christ, the Catholic Church believes you are doomed to hell if you die this week without receiving that. That's what makes it heresy. This is why the Reformers and the Puritans and the Baptists and, and the Bible churches and, and many of those who, were, who, who, who died of old who were willing to go to the stake, they were willing to go to the stake because they said that is not what the Bible teaches. They were willing to give everything, including their very lives, to stand for the cause of Christ. Now again, no more than we do with Joyce Meyer. We don't hate Catholics. We don't hate Mormons. We don't hate Jehovah's Witnesses. But we do have a responsibility to pray for their soul. We do have a responsibility that every time we have the privilege of being able to share with them the gospel message, to be able to take them to the truth of what the crucifixion was and to point out to them, Jesus Christ said it is finished. There would never need to be another sacrifice. Do you remember what happened when Jesus died? What happened at the temple? The curtain, was torn in two. curtain was torn in two from top to bottom, signifying from God to man. The work was completed. There would never need to be another high priest because Jesus was the high priest forever. This is what we're learning about in the book of Hebrews. A greater than Moses had come. A greater than the law had come. A greater than the offerings had come. What a wonderful truth. that I, I don't have to worry. What if I miss a week at Mass? What happens then? Well, according to the Catholic faith, you actually have to complete... Anybody here raised Catholic? Okay. Well, let's, 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 talk with, let's talk with Mr. Jeff here. I have nightmares. Yeah. I didn't realize they say hocus pocus, though. Yeah, it's Latin. They don't say it loud. They, they no, they don't. Yeah. Yep, there's another word that they actually use at... It's... Um, it's something corpus. It's 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 when they actually say that last word. It's it's a magical change in their mind, mm -hmm. whereby Jesus actually does literally. They believe he literally gets off of his throne and inhabits the bread and the wine. 
In fact, if you go, anybody here never been to a Catholic church? Okay. If you've never been to a Catholic church, um, I, I don't actually have one here. I'm, I'm going to use this right here. I'll just use this. When you go up and you take the Mass, or when the Mass is said in a Catholic church, you actually, when you walk up, there's an altar boy or an altar person now who stands there, and they actually are holding a silver platter. And the reason they are holding that silver platter so that when we come up, do you mind if I walk up to you? Is that all right? They walk up and they hand you that bread. The reason they're holding that silver platter is because if Jesus falls on the ground, it would desecrate his body. Yes. You see the heresy? You see the problem? And now in the Catholic Church, you can't even partake of the wine because that's only for the elevated priests. So you can take the bread, you can take the body of Jesus, but you can't take the blood. Didn't used to be that way. No, they, but this is what... Fall, go ahead. They can, you can take the wine now. You can? Yes. Okay, for a long time you, you couldn't. Aside, you come up and you take it back and then they wipe it off. Yeah. yeah. Or you can dip it in with your bread. Okay, yeah. Well, it, it, they, they did stop it for a while. Yeah. yeah. So, so if, if, if you talk and you have a Catholic friend... And you were to ask them, you know, not even a Catholic, most Catholics cannot tell you how to get to heaven. Well, we hope we'll go there one day. Do you realize there are actually seven sacraments that you have to perform in order to be saved in a Catholic church? Baptism. Keep going. Confession. Confession. Hold on. Holy Communion. Communion. Yeah. Uh, confirmation. 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 Yep. Uh, let's see. Marriage. Marriage. Yep. Marriage. Holy orders. Priesthood. Some of you are going to start to realize what the problem is here. Seven. In 2005, the Catholic Church, by the way, in their encyclopedia, you can go up, pull it up on Wikipedia, Google, whatever you want to do, and they will actually show these right here. And you go to the Catholic Encyclopedia, and the Catholic Encyclopedia will tell you, per church doctrine, you have to perform all seven of these in order to be able to be guaranteed entrance into heaven. Now, here's something else. Does anybody remember what happened in 2005? John Paul II. John Paul II died. He actually was a Marianite. He actually, a Marianite is somebody who worships Mary. He believed that you had to worship Mary in order to be able to get to heaven. In fact, he believed that Mary was a co-redemptrix with Jesus. She stood on the ground while he was hanging on the cross and together they had to work together in order to accomplish our salvation. Now, in 2005, when John Paul II died, there was a cardinal who was not very well known to the world at that time, but who actually gave the eulogy at the Mass for John Paul II. And in that, you can find it online. It's written in about five different languages on the Vatican website. And in that eulogy, he says, Let us pray 
that our dear father, our papa, as they say in Italian, will be released from the fires of purgatory and soon be released to the loving arms of our Savior. If the Pope has no hope of going there, how can any normal Catholic get there? You know who that was? That was Cardinal Ratzinger. He became Pope Benedict. Well, I don't know about Benedict Arnold, but Benedictus, yeah, Pope Benedict. Yeah? The word you're looking for is Corpus Christi. Corpus Christi, that's it. The body of Christ. Corpus, body, Christus, Christ. This is why doctrine is so important. For us to be able to understand. And again, I find fault with the system. I don't find fault with the people. The people are duped. They are believing a lie. Can, can, can you imagine what, what it would be like to, to tell your children? Or, or, or what happens if you come across an accident on the way home today and, and, and as you stop by this accident, you can tell that this person, their head is almost completely gone. They're gasping their last breath. You might have five minutes with this person. What do you tell them? Go perform the sacraments? Or do you tell them the love of Jesus Christ and the fact that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners and if you will call on him with the very last breath of your body, he will save you just like he saved the thief on the cross. That's the gospel. That's the hope because it has nothing to do with me. I haven't told that man how to be a Baptist, Catholic, Methodist, Pentecostal, Presbyterian. I told him what Christ requires in order to gain entry into heaven. This is the great exchange. Because mankind only deserves death and justice, Jesus Christ came into the world to become the permanent sacrifice for all who would come to him. Who would believe, who would confess, who who would repent of their sins, who would seek mercy from the Father. You remember what Jesus himself said? I came into the world to save sinners. Not good people. Not good moral people. But sinners. You see, when we recognize that Jesus Christ came and he, we recognize by the work of the Holy Spirit that is being done in our heart and he gives us the ability to, to even to be able to believe, to be able to have faith, to be able to repent of our sins, those things only come because of the work of the Holy Spirit. And when he gives us that ability to be able to do that, all we can do is call on him for mercy and say, Lord, help my unbelief. If you meet somebody and they say, ask them. I've had Christ- I have had people who claim the name of Christ who, who believe that they've been Christians or that they're Christians because they said a little prayer back when they were in vacation Bible school. And ask them, well, what do you do with sin? Oh, well, I'm not a sinner. Bible says you're a sinner. Oh, no, 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 I'm not a sinner. Yes, you are a sinner. I'm a sinner. Everything that we do leads us away from Christ. So in this, this legal justification, if you will, this, this legal accounting that had to take place, we've got all of these sins that are stacked up against our name. This 25,500 25, just for one sin per day for every day of your life if you live to be 70 years old. Who's going to pay for this? Either you 
or Christ. Because you can't pay for your sin. You'll never be able to spend enough time in hell to be able to pay for your sin. Because every moment you spend in hell will be spent in rebellion. Every second is adding to your life sentence. Consummation. Give a summary of the heading, the revelation of the kingdom, and the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, I love the book of Revelation, and the reason I do is because it wraps up all of the nasty now and now, and all of the problems, and all the struggles that this world has, and it all culminates in Jesus Christ as King forever. What more could we ask for? I mean, what a glorious kingdom, what a glorious day that will be. I mean... Somebody has said, well, I don't want to go to heaven and all I end up doing is playing a harp or strumming on a harp and flapping my wings in heaven. Well, number one, you're not going to have wings. And number two, I don't believe you're going to have a harp, but you are going to be worshiping God. But here's the thing. If that's what God wanted us to do when we get to heaven for all of eternity, you and I will be most joyful in doing so. We talk about the Westminster Confession or we talk about the Spurgeon's Catechism, which we handed out yesterday. What is the chief end of man? Glorify God enjoy. to enjoy Him forever. You know what? You and I can't enjoy Him the way that we want to, Brother Gabe, down here in this life. And the reason we can't is because we've got a sin nature we've got to deal with. We say we are sinners saved by grace. Yes, we are. And I am thankful for that because God does no longer hold our, 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 our what we owe, that penalty, that payment for the wages of sin is what? Death. Death. Romans 6.23. <laughs> The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Life for 24 days. <laughs> no. 24 years. No. It says eternal life, doesn't it? Yes. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. This again is the wonder of salvation. That God has done all of this. I mean, you and I didn't contribute anything. I mean, if, if all he did was allow us to enjoy heaven based on the good works that we did, I mean, some of us might get a day's worth of heaven. Maybe by, by some stretch of the imagination, we might get a month's worth of heaven and then he'd kick us out of heaven for all of eternity. No. From before time ever began, he set his love upon you and made it possible for you to be with him for all of eternity. Go read Ephesians chapter 1. If you really struggle to understand and you think that you can lose your salvation today, get saved again tomorrow, lose your salvation the day after that because of something that you have done, you don't understand Jesus. Because of Jesus, you have eternal life. This consummation, this one word sums up the entire Bible from eternity past to eternity future, from the creation of the universe to the new creation, from the fall to full fellowship, from life to death to life eternal, from the perfect fellowship of the triune God to the inclusion of man and then back to perfect fellowship with all who were redeemed in the new heavens and the new earth. I mean, some of us have been able to see some really beautiful places. One of the most beautiful countries that we've had the privilege of going to, some of us here, my dad lived there, we were, he was stationed there, was the country of Iceland. I could go to Iceland every year. I could live in Iceland, except that it's very expensive. And you guys aren't there, so I'm not going. <laughs> Iceland is a beautiful country. It's a land of contrasts, fire and ice. It's a unique place in all the world. It's the only place in the world where you can actually step on the North American continent with one foot and the European continent with the other foot. 
Just an incredible, incredible beauty. Some of you may have been to islands in the Pacific or maybe you have been to places like Alaska. I would love to see Mount Denali one day. But to see all of the things, you've seen some wonderful sights, some of the countries that you got to go to, Rebecca. And if God did that the first time and we can only see it through sin-cursed eyes in a sin-cursed world that is longing to be released from the bondage of sin, can you imagine what the new heaven and earth is going to look like? can't begin to imagine that. Well, that was, if you were here a couple of lessons ago, you will realize that uh, that was what we actually missed. That was what we overlooked. But now we've caught up. So now I want you to go to the introduction to the prolegomena. This is pages 50 to 67. And uh, we are down at point number six. How does systematic theology relate to one's mind? This should be on mine. It's page one. It may be page two on yours. But before we go any further, I want to ask page three. Okay, I want to ask if anybody has any questions over what we have covered already tonight or even previously. Maybe uh, I keep meaning to, to... Violet reminded me she... Got a big two-by-four and whacked me upside the head. Said, hey, you haven't been asking about questions, so now I'm asking about questions so I don't get another bonk on the head. No, she doesn't do that. <laughs> so does anybody have any questions over the things that we have covered or that you have studied or maybe just have general questions about? I have a question, but just a comment. This yeah. Is, especially when we're talking about the substitutionary, uh, substitutionary atonement. Yep. If you think about all the great men in the world, uh, in the Old Testament, you have Noah, you have Abraham, you have, um, I would even put Joshua in there, um, Solomon, David. Okay? There's many men in the Old Testament that glorified God and worshipped him on a regular basis, but they were still sinners. <clears throat> and Jesus Christ, as we talk about, was the perfect lamb. Think about us. You know, we do our best to glorify God every single day, but we are still blemished. Yep. And so if you think about what he had to what he had to take on for all the sins of the, those who love him, it's, 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 it's mind-boggling. I mean, we couldn't even step, could take a step toward what he, what he did for us. And so just being so thankful for truly what he did for us on the cross. Years ago, we we knew a missionary. His name was Archie Martin. He's gone to be with the Lord now. But he used to every year there was a conference. He was in the states. There was a there was this song slash dialogue that he used to give. I don't know if you guys remember that or not. But it started out. I was walking down the road to the other day, and a man walked up to me and he said, "What are you doing?" He says, "I'm following Jesus each step of the way." And he says, well, what are you doing that for? He satisfies. Joy he supplies. Life would be worthless without him. And he goes through this whole dialogue. You know, if you stop and think about what you just said, brother, if somebody asks you to give your testimony, it's no different than the testimony of those in the Old Testament. It's this right here.
faith. Abraham, Noah, by faith. When we stand before God, it's going to be by faith, but it's not because we worked it up, because I can't work it up, you can't work it up. It's by faith because He gave you the faith to believe. The faith to believe that what He says in His Word is true. This is why we read Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith. And then not of yourself. He's talking about that faith. That faith is even a gift to be able to believe. And when we get to heaven, we'll be able to say, by faith we see these things. This is what Hebrews chapter 11 is. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Listen, we're just a bunch of nutters here tonight. If this isn't true. We're just a bunch of morons if we're willing to come here on a Sunday night to be able to study God's Word. If God's Word isn't true, if He isn't true, if God is a liar, if God is only a half-God, we might as well worship Buddha. Or Muhammad. Or Confucius. But what makes us different is Jesus paid it all and then rose again the third day to complete our justification. That's what makes us different, Brother Terry, because all the other religions in the world, their gods are still in the grave. They're still dead. Their bodies are. But Jesus ever lives. He sat down at the right hand of the Father, signifying something that the high priest in the Old Testament could not do. There was no seat in the Holy of Holies. But Jesus Christ completed His work, went back to the Father, and sat down forever the next time he stands will be to come back here at the command of the father to bring his children home how do we know have I seen a vision nope by faith by faith that's all there is to it and yet we, we want to try to make it too complicated we, we, we want to add all kinds of stuff to it what happens to the person who's never been baptized what about the person who's never confessed? By the way, don't come and confess your sins to me. I'm just a man. What if somebody never takes communion? What if they haven't gone through confirmation or, or, or doctrinal classes to be able to learn? I mean, that's essentially what this is. This is a doctrinal class. This is like the Catholic confirmation. You have to go through this class, otherwise you don't get to go to heaven. Marriage. Some of us are privileged to be married. Some are not. What about the young people? <clears throat> I have the privilege of being able to minister the Word of God. My dad does. Scott has ministered the Word of God. Brother Jeff has ministered the Word of God. Mike has stood up and ministered the Word of God. Gabe has ministered the Word of God. The rest of you, I'm sorry, you don't get to go to heaven. You see how ridiculous it is? And again, we have to go back to the Word of God. The Word of God doesn't say any of this stuff. Does anybody not know what last rites is, by the way? Last rites. Last it's anointing of oil. It's anointing of oil. It's the last thing. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Right before they die, the priests come in and gives them um, somewhat of a, a blessing and then they anoint them with oil. Yep. And I absolve you of your sin. Yeah. Yeah. You don't have... You remember uh, that you're going to go to purgatory in their eyes because they need a little money for them. Yeah. We'll but but he, 
Here's here's the thing. How can how can a priest not say that I won't be able to go to heaven if he's already absolved me of all my sins? If he actually has the power given to him by God to absolve, to erase, to eradicate, to make my standing complete before God, then why do I have to go to purgatory? I'll tell you why. Because in the 1100s, in the in the dark ages. The Catholic Church decided we need another income stream to be able to help fight our battles, to be able to build our gold cathedrals. And so they invented something called purgatory. And the priests and the monks used to go around to all the little villages to the people who couldn't read. And like Tetzel did in the late 1400s, early 1500s, would tell people, for every time the coin in the coffer rings, a soul from purgatory springs. But he couldn't guarantee it was your loved one. You just had to take a chance. And you know what? The Catholic Church still sells it. You can go to the, anybody here ever been to the Vatican? Okay, you've been to the Vatican. They sell things in the Vatican, don't they? Yeah. What what kind of things do they sell? I want you to hear from somebody who's actually been there. I know what they sell. We were quick running through it, so we didn't stop and look too much. Yeah. Probably the, the most bizarre was the. Yep. It was a blessing of sorts. Yeah. Uh, they have, anybody know what a scapula is? <coughs> a what? What's a scapula, Dad? I'll bring one next week so everyone can see it. Yeah. Scapula, it's a little leather pouch. Yeah. And in there, there's supposed to be a hair of the Apostle Peter or the toenail of St. Paul. Seriously. Well, yeah, if you got a big enough one, yeah. <laughs> Listen, here's what false doctrine, and then I'm going to get to you, Mike. Here's, here's what false doctrine does. Do you know the reason why Martin Luther became the friend of the people? Do you know what the Re- Reformation was actually about? It was because, because guys like Tetzel, who was a priest, he was actually an advanced priest, he was a cardinal, <clears throat> And Tetzel actually would go amongst the people and he would tell them that as long as you give to the Catholic Church, you could even defile your own mother. And God would be required to let you into heaven as long as you give to me. Yes, that's an exact quote. Indulgences were the biggest, were the big thing. Yeah. It, it was it was a it was a piece of paper that was stamped. It was they would roll them up like a little stroll in indulgence, and and they would write some nonsense on there. And it was mostly in Latin because the people didn't understand it anyway. And then they would seal it, and they would say, "You buy this indulgence, and your family members will one day go free from purgatory." Well, how many years do they have to suffer in purgatory? We don't know, but this this will help knock off a couple of years. And that was a whole. That was a one way of getting every single person. Was in Latin, and yep. then no one understood what they were talking about, but they just sat in there anyway. Yep. And then you believed the priest what he was saying based on what he was speaking, and it just carried on from that point on till now. They still don't read their own Bibles. 
Let me, let me tell you the reason why people stay in their false religions. And it doesn't matter whether you go to Uganda, or to Croatia, or Africa, anywhere in Africa, Asia. It's fear. Well, let me give you an idea. The priest stands up, and you might have some questions, and maybe you're doubting your belief in the church. The priest is going to use things like this because they've been doing it for years. They're taught to do this. Well, you love your mother, don't you? Do you love your mother? It looks like a question on your face, but do you love your mother? I'm just, I'm just role-playing here with you. You, you, love, you, well, you. you don't want her to go to hell, do you? Well, well, you know, the way that keep her out of hell or for not for her to have to spend very long there is for you to give to the church and make sure you partake of communion next Sunday. Where do you think, where do you think Abby's going to be next Sunday? She's going to be front row because she doesn't want mom to go to hell. You see how pernicious that is? The Mormon church, they're the same thing. If, if you and I are, are in an LDS church and my son goes on mission and your son doesn't, I'm a higher rung in the celestial kingdom than you are. There, if you look at it side by side and you actually go down and look at a church, there is so very little difference between yep. the Catholic church and the Mormon church. Yep. Straight yeah. down. False doctrine. Except, with the exception of Latin, but instead they yeah. use other yep. things. But, um, going through the church history on uh, AGTV and uh, on that part right now. Mm -hmm. But um, when you're looking at all those rules, um, it was like one thing was instituted, then the next thing was instituted. It didn't all happen at once. Nope. But because people were in the dark, they didn't read the Bible, they didn't see the Bible, they took the word. But then you got Martin Luther, and one of the things that was brilliant is the fact that he preached to the people in their own language, and that made a big deal of a difference because they started seeing the Word, and the Reformation starts. But the interesting thing is, as it evolved, and then you got the Anabaptists, and then the Protestant-type well, that went crazy, yep. things started all over again in some of those churches. <laughs> that turned just like the Catholic Church, that they're a Protestant, in a sense. And and it's just always repetitive throughout history. So it, yeah. it seems to me that if it's dealing with Christianity, Satan creates a mock Christian religion yeah. that people fall into. And almost every one of them has to do with either fear or indulgences or pain or works. Yeah. If it's not Christianity, it's an idol worship that you had pre-Christ. Uh, figures or a tree or something that's tangible. Yeah. And that's what you'll notice about it. And sometimes it's probably easier to deal with that than it is to deal with the Christian face. You, you, you can't, it's, it's, it is very difficult to witness to somebody who is Catholic. I mean, they, they, their priest has been indoctrinating them every Sunday for years. Hey, this is the way it is. And, and if, your family did, if you don't want your family to go to hell, you'll be here next Sunday. They'll be there next Sunday. That's how they got the people down in South America and Central America. Brother Terry? And I was in a, we were in a service one time with some friends of ours whose mother passed away and got down to the Hail Marys. And 
You know, you know the 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 rosary that you see mostly older ladies, the beads that they carry. Those those are there for a purpose, and they're they're in arranged in a particular order as well. And those beads are there for them to be able to count off. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Hail Mary, full of grace. Blessed art thou among women. And they go through all their prayers because they believe the more times they say those prayers, the more grace it bestows. They, they don't under, all they would have to do is read the book of Romans. All the grace that you and I are ever going to be given was accomplished on the cross of Calvary so that when you are saved, you're not going to get any more grace, saving grace than what you get at that moment. There's no second work of grace. That's it. You get the whole bundle. But they believe that they do these things in order to be able to gain more merit. Yeah, the rosary has set of ten um, Hail Marys five times with an Our Father in between and a Glory be to the Father. Glory be to the Father, yep, yep. They started out with the Apostles' Creed. Um, they ended with a, I think, a confession? No. Hail Holy Queen, Mother of Mercy, our life, our sweetness, and our hope. To Thee do we cry, poor banished children of Eve. To Thee do we set up our side, mourning and weeping in these valley of tears. Turn to mo turn most gracious advocate. I can't remember the rest. Go ahead, Gabe. <laughs> yeah. Can I ask you, how? you know, you know who, you know who we're praying. It was easy. Oh, it was. Yeah. Because wasn't this all part of your your I family? I did. Yeah. Oh, yeah. My my father died Catholic. Um, I praise in heaven. I, I can't pray him into heaven, sure. right? Yeah. But I know he believed in Jesus Christ. Um, there's, there's so much of this that becomes no. part of your culture. That's, that's not yeah. even a touch of the ice. No. Right. I, I, think, right. I think just like in Christianity, uh -huh. you have your Catholics that are go on Sunday, but don't do, do the whole thing. Yeah. But yeah. there are some Catholics that are, are fully yeah. invested, fully in uh -huh. doing all that stuff. And so... It depends on what stream or stream of, of the spectrum that your family's in. Mm -hmm. Like mine was on very little, <laughs> so I walked away that was easy. easy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I just feel like sometimes there those kind of things get such a hold, such a grip that's very it's harder. And I think we have to be careful that we don't because it all sounds kind of mumbo jumbo to us in our our enlightened because we feel like we have come away from that but that that's a bondage that happened almost from the very beginning yeah right. i mean timothy james all of these are you know spoken to that there are false teaching that has crept yeah. in how have you become so bewitched i mean from the very beginning so the fight has been not 2000 years <laughs> 2000 years of church history and it just it just gets worse. I mean, th there was a time when the Catholic Church, there were many who were in the Catholic Church who were true believers. 
but as the Catholic Church continued to go down a path of, of heretical teaching, uh, I believe that a person, for example, I, I believe a person would be sitting in a Catholic cathedral and, and come to faith in Christ by reading the Word. But I don't believe they can remain there. I believe that God through the Holy Spirit will bring them into the light of His Word and that they will have to leave. I mean, Dad can tell you, there, there were a number of people who came to faith down through the years of ministry who were Catholics and, and, and who came. And when they came out of it, I mean, you just couldn't shut them up. They, they knew, they understood. Dad? You had something? Oh, I was going to say, I'll bring, the next time we meet, I'll bring a rosary. Yeah. <coughs> he only, yeah, he only uses them on a day ending in a Y. Yeah. <laughs> Scott, <laughs> I think I, you know we talk about the doctrines of grace, and if you want to, you want to fire up evangelicals, is get someone that doesn't agree with the doctrines of grace. They'll call you a Calvinist because that's derogatory in their minds, mm -hmm. because he's the one that that really brought that forward. But the reason I think that gets so. Um, contentious is because we don't really understand what grace is and means. When we look at grace, it's a free gift given with nothing. We don't deserve it. But what we want, what the what the Arminianism or what those that get so upset is, what do they want? They want us to work it out because we don't feel like that's something that's ever done. We have to work. Well, what do we get when we work? We become legalistic, we become rule-driven. Rule mm -hmm. All of those things start to creep up and creep in. Like somebody said, it doesn't happen all at once. It's a little at a time, but that's what we tend to do because we feel like we're, we can't just be a bystander in this and you read James. And James is a real hard thing to deal with Catholics because they're like, here, see, you have to work. But what we're saying is out of gratitude, they're saying out of salvific work. You have to work yep. it out. So there's always that, I think that's part of our human nature, is that we have to work it out. And with that, working something out creates the problems and that conflict at all times. It's our own conflict, but then we get in conflict with the Catholics. With, I mean, Mormonism is the same. Instead of them purgatory, what do you do? You go to the temple and you pray for the dead. That's why they have such a huge genealogy. I couldn't think of the word. Genealogy yep. department is because of that. They want to get them to their planet, but it's the same principle. The principles are the same, and that's where we have to be careful of, you know, falling off one side of the, one side of the road and the other side of the ditch. If I say, okay, I'm going to give this away to somebody, and somebody raises their hand and says, okay, I'll take that, and I say, okay, I'm going to give you this as a free gift. How many of you would accept this tonight as a free gift? Yeah, pretty much. Everybody, yeah, everybody, everybody. I mean, who doesn't like alligator clips, right? I mean, seriously, I've got bunches of them. I lose more than I actually have in my drawer, okay? Because somehow between Sunday morning when I take it off the paperwork that I'm handing out to you guys, it disappears, okay? So don't point your finger over there at your brother. <laughs> so I give you the alligator clip. No questions, right? Okay. This is a 2017... Volvo X. Don't 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 raise, don't raise your hand. You don't get to select on this one. And so I go up to Miss Melissa. I say, I'd like to give you this car. 
What's the first thing that we normally say as humans because we're trained to say this? What's the catch? Now, what's it cost? We don't have any problem accepting the little blessings from God. But he gives us everything by his grace and we say, meh, what's catch? What did we say on Thursday night? When someone is really struggling in ruins, all things work together for the good of for the good. Yep. And we forget the other rest of the part, but it's when someone's in trouble, we remember that. But when there's more given, the whole context of that. Yep. Oh, well, we don't want to deal with that part. That's exactly. Yep. This is why doctrine is so important. I love talking about doctrine. I love reading about doctrine. I've shared with you at the beginning of the class when we first started a couple of month, few months ago now. The first time I went through doctrinal class, I hated it. I was in my freshman year, and we had doctrinal class. One of my worst classes that I had all week, nine hours worth of college credits. Nine? Nine. Yes. I took all three of mine at one time because I wanted to get through the class and be oh, done with it. <laughs> I also took Greek and Hebrew my freshman year. I know, dumber than rocks. <laughs> exactly. But the problem, the reason I didn't like the doctrine was because I wasn't even a believer. The second time I took doctrinal class at the master's level, I loved it. Because I began to understand the true grace of God. I began to truly understand how much he had done for me. Regardless of what anybody else thought, regardless of what any religion said, the Bible said that he set me free. And that helped me to be able to understand the doctrine of God the Father, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, the doctrine of Christ, the doctrine of sin. And boy, was I a sinner. The doctrine of heaven, the doctrine of, of even angels. Dad mentioned it this morning, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Well, you know what, I, I don't think I'm, I'm that big a deal that the devil literally, and my dad believes this as well, that he literally comes and sits on Mark Escalera's door every single day. Because the devil is not omniscient. He is not omnipotent. He is not everywhere. He is not all-powerful. He is in one place at one time. He is not God. But he certainly sends his minions to do his work for him. And if his minions can get you distracted from the beauty of God's word. I was sharing with somebody the other, the other day. John MacArthur. He got to the end preaching through the entire New Testament. Quite a bit of the Old Testament. After 54 years of ministry. And you know what he did? He started all over again. Still learning. At 83. May we ever be like that until the very last breath that we take so that we can finish well by faith, through grace, in Christ alone. That's, that's the only story we've got. It's the only testimony we can have. I've often asked you before, from the pulpit, I've talked about it upstairs and I've said if you were to stand before God and he were to ask you, why should I let you into my heaven? Which, by the way, he's not going to ask you that. But if he were, why should I let you into my heaven? What's your answer going to be? If your answer begins with anything about you in the first person, you're not going to get in. 
be a better start and continue and end with Christ. Because he's the only reason you'll be there. Anybody else? Thank you for your attention tonight. And uh, as always, if you have any questions about what we've covered, and I realize there's a lot of material there. I didn't get as far as I thought we would. But I think it's been... Yeah, well, you didn't have to make it personal. Seriously, I really am enjoying this class, and I hope you are as well. Invite others to come with you, and uh, let's study and learn God's Word together. Amen? Thank you, Father, for the time. We pray that you have been glorified. Lord, we don't want anybody to go from here tonight thinking that we hate those individuals who do not believe just like us. We do not. As Paul said, I wish that I could be accursed for my brethren's sake. If they could all be saved and I could go to hell, as Paul said, then I'd be willing to do so. And Lord, I can't say that I'm that way for the people of America or the people of England or Liberia or any other country. But we should have such a desire and love for you that we would come to that point that we would love even our enemies. May we go from here this evening rejoicing in the grace, the mercy, and the love of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And together all God's people said, Amen.